Obadiah 15 says, For the day of the Lord is near against all the nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. We don't want to go the way of the world. We, want, we need to be different. The Lord judges individuals. Individuals tend to follow the crowd. The church needs to be different. The church needs to follow Jesus. In the book of Haggai, the prophet Haggai writes about God's people having misplaced priorities. The prophet Haggai had a word from God. Haggai spoke to them and confronted them with the message straight from God. God had given them one important task and they set it aside to do their own thing. God tells them they are spinning their wheels. Everything they do, planting crops, growing livestock, eat, eating, drinking, even putting on clothes to keep out the cold, everything they do is not enough to satisfy their needs. They work hard, and they are still hungry and thirsty and cool, cold and poor. God points out to them that they are not being blessed by God. They have considered doing what they do in their own strength. They have procrastinated about building the temple, even though they have a mandate from God to build the temple. God gave them this job to do, and they haven't even really started to do it. They look back on what they remembered about Solomon's temple, and then they compared it to what they might expect from their own efforts. They knew that what they might build would in no way have the glory they remembered about Solomon's temple. They gave up before they even got started. They didn't obey God because they didn't think their efforts would yield results that would please God anyway. They weren't trusting God to give them the ability to do what he wanted them to do. The people heard the word of God as told them by the prophet Haggai. Their spirits were stirred up. And Zerubbabel and Joshua led the people to obey God. Haggai spoke the word of God to the people, saying, I am with you, declares the Lord. Those words encouraged the people, the official word of the Lord, saying, I am with you. The people responded, commencing work on building the temple. God told his people to do the job he told them to do and build the temple. God would then do what was coming next. God himself would bring glory to the temple. God was going to do glorious things, glorifying himself because his people did the part he gave them to do. They knew their efforts in and of themselves wouldn't amount to much, but if they were obeying God, then God would provide the glory beyond the material glory that was accomplished under Solomon. In truth, Solomon accomplished great things only because God blessed the efforts of Solomon. Since the time of Solomon, other impressive temples and churches have been built. We tend to be impressed with architectural achievements some of those buildings glorify man more than they do God. 
If we look at the teachings of Jesus, we don't see him telling his disciples to build impressive buildings to worship God in. Jesus was born into the family of Joseph, who was a carpenter, and it is likely that Joseph taught his stepson Jesus how to be a carpenter. After Jesus, after Joseph passed away and before Jesus started his ministry at the age of 30, it is likely he helped his four younger brothers learn how to be carpenters. So Jesus knew all about buildings and would have a greater understanding than most about what it takes to build a temple. We know Jesus had a love and respect for the temple in Jerusalem because he chased the corrupt businessmen out of the temple with a whip. Jesus told them it was supposed to be a house of prayer, not a den of thieves. When his disciples pointed out to him how impressive the temple was, he told them a day was coming when the temple would be destroyed. It happened as he said it would 70 years later. Jesus didn't command them to plan on rebuilding the temple after it was destroyed. Jesus taught his disciples that it is time to build the church. He wasn't talking from the perspective of a carpenter. He wasn't talking about church buildings being built. In the book of Acts and afterward, church was held in the private homes of believers. It is true today in many parts of the world, especially in places where the church is persecuted. It's not about the buildings, it's about the people who are the church. Years ago when we lived in Lubbock, I had the privilege of going with some people from our church, along with people from other churches to San Jose, Costa Rica. The Baptist churches in San Jose were hosting an evangelical outreach in their city and invited a lot of Baptists from Texas to be part of the work. Our church members joined efforts with the church in the suburbs. The pastor was bivocational. He was a Costa Rican. He was an accountant. His family was middle class economic by Costa Rican standards. The church was close by. The congregation met in a tent. It was a good sized tent, maybe more than a thousand square feet. If memory serves correctly, his church had been meeting there for quite some time. It had electric lights, but no plumbing and no air conditioning. Some people complained about the heat with all those people meeting there. The pastor said the heat was nothing compared to that in hell. I don't think many of the church members had air conditioning at home, but they also didn't fill their house with that large group of people on those summer nights. When we, when we went back to Lubbock, I went to a church business meeting on Sunday evening. One topic of discussion was the need for a complete overhaul of our church air conditioning system. They were talking about spending half a million dollars on air conditioning. I was struck by the contrast between our church building and the tent church meeting in Costa Rica. Yes, we need an air conditioned church building, but we need to remember we are the church. Jesus wants us to work to build the church. It's not what we need to, that we need to increase the size of this particular congregation. We need to work to invite other people to know Jesus. That is how we build the church. We witness with our words and with the ways we represent Christ in ministering to the world around us.
In the first chapter of the book of Zechariah, the word of the Lord speaks to Zechariah. God tells him his ancestors disobeyed God, even after the prophets that God sent to them told them they were disobeying God. God points out these ancestors died, and the prophets that spoke to them were also gone, but the word of the Lord lives on. Zechariah then tells about a vision he had. A man on a red horse stood among some myrtle trees. Other horses of different colors were standing behind them. Zechariah asked an angel what it was all about. He was told that the Lord had sent out the horses to patrol the earth. The man on the red horse reported they had patrolled the earth, found everything to be peaceful and quiet. But God said he was angry with those nations that had plundered Jerusalem and Zion because they went overboard in punishing the people of God. They had deserved to be punished, but not as much as they got. God would extend vengeance against them. In chapter 2, he tells of a future time when Jerusalem would grow and prosper and would need no walls because... God would be a wall of fire around them, and he would be the glory in their midst. In verse 11, God said many nations would join themselves to the Lord and become his people. This would be a prophecy of the kingdom of Jesus on earth in the millennium. God talks about a time when he would dwell in the midst of his people. He speaks of a branch who will take away iniquity, he would remove the iniquity of the land in one day. That happened the day Jesus died on the cross. When Jesus talked to his disciples, he said, I am the vine and you are the branches. The branches get their life from the vine. In Zechariah 4, 6, God said his people would be victorious, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. In chapter 5, we see a couple of strange visions. Zechariah sees a flying scroll, and the angel explains to him that it is a curse against those who steal and against those who swear falsely. In another vision, he sees an ephah going forth with a lead cover on it. So it seems like an ephah is some kind of a box or a coffin the cover was lifted up and a woman was sitting inside. The angel declared that she was wickedness. The angel threw her down into the box and put the lid cover back on. Then two women with wings came flying over and picked up the box with the woman named wickedness in it and carried it off between the heavens and the earth. Zechariah asked the angel where they were taking her. He said they were going to build a temple for her in the land of Shinar, and she was going to be put on a pedestal. Satan is still setting up idols. Zechariah tells us God will send a king who will bring peace. He will be a priest to the throne, on the throne, the king and the intercessor. Jerusalem would rejoice. The conquering king would come on the back of a donkey. He would come in a humble way, not on a war horse, not the first time he comes. God will send a shepherd who will be struck down for the sheep. This is Zechariah 13, 7 through 9. This is seen as a prophecy of the coming of Jesus. 
his crucifixion and the persecution of the church. Some will fall away, but a third will be refined as gold is refined in the fire. Jesus will say, these are my people, and they will say, the Lord is my God. The book Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. It is believed that the prophet Malachi lived and served God in the times, same times as Ezra and Nehemiah. He gives the same kinds of prophecies to the same people that Ezra and Nehemiah prophesied to. Some Bible scholars believe that about 400 years passed after the time of Malachi, before the time of Jesus, I am not yet convinced that this is so. I believe Jesus was born about 40 centuries after creation. I have read verses in the Bible that put together show about 3,750 years from the creation to the time that the Jews returned to Jerusalem. That means about 250 years between Malachi and the Gospel of Matthew. If Jesus was born 40 centuries after creation, this is speculation on my part and doesn't make a difference to most people and is not something you have to have an opinion about in order to be saved by Jesus. Malachi tells the people they don't respect God. The evidence is in their giving. Instead of giving God their first fruits and their best offerings, they are giving God animals for sacrifice that they don't want. They might give a blind animal, one that they wouldn't dare give to a governor, or something they wanted to honor. They give a useless sacrifice, and they ask God for God's blessings. In chapter 2, Malachi, speaking of for God, says, The priests are not doing their job. They have contempt for God, as it comes through in the way they administer their duties. In verse 8, he says, They have caused many to stumble at the law, and they have corrupted the covenant of law. That was the covenant God had made with the tribe of Levi, who were the priests for God's people. God said they have not kept his ways and have been partial in the law. Speaking to each priest, God said, You have dealt treacherously with the wife of your youth. It sounds like God is saying, The priests have got tired of their wives when the wife got old and traded her in for a new one. Maybe God is saying this symbolically saying, you used to love me, but now you've gone after someone else. In either case, in both cases, God condemns the practice. In chapter 3, verse 5, God said he will be a witness against the sorcerers, the adulterers, and those who swear falsely. He is against those who oppress the hireling in his wages, and those who oppress the widow and the fatherless, and who turn aside strangers. In verses 6 and 7, God said, I haven't changed, and that is why you haven't been destroyed. He said, return to me so I can return to you. Malachi tells the people to trust God in their giving. God will open the floodgates and pour out blessings without measure to those who give God the tithe, the first of their income. Instead of being blessed, they are being cursed because they are not bringing in a tithe. What they are doing doesn't work because they are not giving to God a tenth of what God has given to them. God says, test me, 
Give me what is mine, and I will pour out blessings to you, more than you need. People complain against God. God hasn't blessed them because they haven't made a true commitment to God. Then they look at sinners who seem to do well without God, and they think they could do the same. They don't look at the big picture. What they see is temporary treasures in a temporary life in a temporary place. It looks good now, but a focus on the pleasures that can be had without God is trusting in a dream that will go up in smoke. In verses 16 through 18, God said he was keeping a record of those who followed God with their hearts. God would give them special recognition. He would give them special rewards. We know that Jesus takes away our sins. Those of us who follow Jesus Beyond that, God will judge what we are doing in his name and his honor. So some of God's people will get more rewards than others. We are not saved because we, do it, because we have done good works. We are saved in order to do good works. That is why he has us here. It is believed that about 40 decades passed between the Old and New Testaments. Forty centuries after the world was created, Jesus, the Son of God, King of Kings, was born into the world.